Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 30. Audrey Sanchez, founder of Balance.org, on how you can fight for a food system that puts our health first. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board-certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm really excited about this week's guest, Audrey Sanchez. She is the executive director and founder of a nonprofit organization called Balanced. I found out about her because of the work that she's doing, especially in places like schools where we know how important it is that our kids eat healthy foods. She is a mother and a former educator, and after a decade of watching students eat upwards of 10 meals a week at school, she set out to make those meals healthier. Since founding Balanced in 2017, Audrey and her team launched two national campaigns demanding healthier menus from major food service providers, and they're soon to launch a toolkit and coaching service in support of community-led campaigns across the country. I know you are just going to love this conversation and hope that you get excited about it. And if you're a parent or a grandparent and you want to get involved in changing the system, this is the podcast that you want to listen to. You can find more information about her at balanced.org, B-A-L-A-N-C-E-D.org. But before we proceed to the interview, I want to give a thank you to our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps health conscious individuals get lower rates on their life insurance. And they know this because they have done research and they use research about how healthier people actually have less morbidity and mortality rates. And so it's a win-win situation. If you want to learn more about Health IQ and see if you qualify, please go to healthiq.com forward slash veggie doctor and use the code veggie doctor to see if you qualify for special rates on your 
life insurance. Okay, and one last thing I wanted to also remind you about the salad challenge that starts tomorrow, Monday, April the 16th. If you are interested in getting seven days of free emails with videos and recipes, exclusive recipes from plant-based experts, please go to www.veggiefitkids.com forward slash salad challenge and you can sign up with your email so that you can start receiving the daily emails. Also, when you eat your daily salad, make sure that you post on Instagram or Facebook hashtag Dr. Yami salad challenge and let's all have fun eating more healthy salads in our day. Okay, so let's Listen to Audrey and what she has to say about balanced. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's absolutely my honor. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and just dig right into this. I really want to know more about this nonprofit organization called Balance that you started. What is it and why did you start it? Absolutely. So Balanced is um, a public health and nutrition advocacy organization. We campaign for healthier menus in schools, hospitals, and other like critical community institutions, whatever those may be um, across the country. And so we uh, have launched and run a few meat reduction campaigns where we ask for uh, reduced meat and eggs on the menu to be replaced with fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, whole grains, Legumes, all the good stuff. Awesome. And what gave you the idea to start this? Why did you, I mean, it seems like yeah. it's, it's not an easy task to start a nonprofit organization and start launching these campaigns. So what motivated you to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, probably sheer naivete. Uh, assuming that I could change the system much faster than I could. Um, but really, I was working at um, actually an animal rights nonprofit doing their uh, vegetarian support work. And I was observing over and over again, the literal millions of people reaching out asking for support. How do they change their diet? How can they personally do it? Um, investing all of these resources, all of this time and energy into helping people uh, eat a more plant-based diet and realizing that despite a large group of people's well intentions and desire to eat well, the system is just set up to not support that. And so, you know, you probably know this firsthand, <laughs> trying to get individual behavior change is hard enough, but trying to create individual behavior change in a system that is actively working against those changes, it's just impossible to make that change. And so um, I felt really called to, to take on this advocacy work to change not just individual diets, but to create a system that supports those healthy changes. Wow. And that's a big, huge, monumentous task. So sure. kudos to you well, for tackling you. this. What got you interested in nutrition in the first place? Have you always been interested in it or was it just whenever you started working at this other organization? Yeah. So I've been interested in it for a while. So I went vegetarian when I was 14, um, actually in a town of 1500 in the middle of Kansas. Wow. And I had a lot of what I call like the vegan special, right? Just dry lettuce and French fries. <laughs> And as much as I wanted to have um, to make these decisions and, and eat healthy and in alignment with, with how I wanted to live, I just felt terrible. It just felt awful to only be eating lettuce and french fries. And I realized that, you know, this is possible to do 
billions of people have done it before. And so uh, it was incumbent upon me to figure out how to do that well. Um, and so, you know, starting early in my teens, doing the research, just trying to have energy and, um, and I played sports and just all of those sort of things that um, lend themselves to needing good nutrition. So it sounds like it's been an evolution for you. What, how do you describe your diet nowadays? Yeah. So I describe my diet as plant-based. Um, I personally am primarily whole foods plant-based. My husband and daughter are a little bit more on the like vegan side. So they like a little bit more Gardein in their meals and things like that. Um, but basically every dinner at our home is a grain, a green, a protein, and some sauce. Mm-hmm. I'm also like not the best cook, so it has to stay that simple. <laughs> oh, I'm all for that. I think simplicity is the key to so many things. But let's go, let's back up a little bit and talk about the food industry because there's so many fascinating things. I and mean, we just got back from a week long vacation. Mm. And as you know, vacation is tricky, right? Like so mm-hmm. much traveling, airports, and then we were with family, and I'm from Panama, so I only get to go to Panama once every year or two, and just seeing the foods that I haven't seen for a while, uh, lots of fried foods and things like that, it's it's really difficult to turn down these hyper-palatable, delicious treats, and some of these airports now, are they're just getting to the point where it's like all these flashy lights, and like all these, it's like basically just eat, 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 like you're just prompted all day long to eat, eat, eat. And it's not just the social psychology of, because that's the hard part for me. Like my mm. kids, they like to eat like every two hours and I'm more of a go every four to five hours is what my body wants. But when everybody eats every two hours and you're just kind of like, well, I want to eat too. But then there's also the chemical level in our bodies, like the dopamine that gets released for us to get motivated to eat. So there's so many factors at play. I mean, what, what do you think about these food organizations? I mean, do you think that they, they truly think that they have our best interests or do you think they're just like these evil greedy corporations that they're just like doing the research just to make sure that they're hooking us? Where, where do you think they stand? Yeah. So um, I certainly do not think they have our best interests at heart. Um, even companies that have, you know, shell corporations to produce healthy meals or rebranding some of their foods. Um, I, I would not, I, I would like to assume because I want to have faith and hope in human beings in general, because that's required to do good work in the world, that uh, the individual people doing this work are not monsters. Um, but they, they are incentivized to behave in ways that maximize their company's profit. Um, and when they are that many steps removed from the actual impact of their food product, you know, they're not sitting across from children who are eating unhealthy food, 10 meals a week at school, you know, they're looking at numbers in a spreadsheet and making decisions about what needs to be sold and profit margins. Um, the system incentivizes some, some poor choices. Mm-hmm. And then just recently, I heard about the U.S. government trying to find ways to uh, appropriate cheese. Where are we yeah. going to put all this excess cheese we have? And that's not the first time that's happened. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, you know, like for somebody that may not know, it seems like, well, that's not a bad thing to do. You know, there's extra cheese. Why don't we just spread it around? <laughs> you know, it seems like the, the right thing to do, right? 
Yeah. I, I mean, so when there's an abundance of food, it would seem like that would be the logical choice. But what that says to me is that they are creating um, a false market to continue producing that food at such a high rate. Um, and so with these checkoff systems and these subsidies, essentially they're propping up a failing industry mm-hmm. over and over again in mm-hmm. different ways. Um, and it's not ideal, certainly not ideal. Well, and especially knowing that cheese is very addictive and it keeps us coming back. So people, I don't know if they necessarily mind, you know, like it's like, okay, sure. yeah, more, let's put more cheese on pizza and in the crust and on top and on bottom and every which way. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard. Um, well, let's talk about school some more. Were you a teacher before? I was a teacher. Yes. I taught third grade. Um, to the very best and brightest third graders that ever lived in the oh. history of the world. Um, and then I worked actually in education in New Orleans for an additional six years. So and, I spent. Yeah. And, no, go ahead. But I was going to say, what did you notice being a teacher and being right there on the front lines of what kids are eating? Yeah. Um, the takeaway for me is I noticed this, this grave injustice, um, but that's just at like the bird's eye view. Um, I noticed, you know, children who were depending on 10 meals a week at school being served uh, harmful, dangerous, addictive, and like unhealthy foods. Um, And then day to day, I observed how terrible it made them feel. I observed their um, inability to concentrate and focus. Um, You know, it it has a ripple effect. Um, They weren't able to be as active as I would assume they otherwise would have been or what I have observed other third graders or how I have observed other third graders behaving. Um, And so, yeah, day to day and big, big picture, I felt a little defeated. Wow. And could you see a correlation there between meal times and like if they got sluggish and things like that? Oh, yeah. Unequivocally. Unequivocally. Yeah. It was particularly um, bad after breakfast. Typically breakfasts are very, very sugary um, in in school settings. And then um, on days where there were, you know, just like a ton of processed meats or even if it wasn't just a ton of meat, if there were no vegetables or no fruits, there was just no balance at all. Plates. I don't know if you've been in a school lunch recently. A lot hasn't not a lot has changed in 10 years. Uh, they're very beige meals. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like Thanksgiving is a really good day to have a beige plate, but the other 364 days a year should be like colorful and vibrant and lively and it just is not. Yeah, exactly. I grew up eating breakfast and lunch at school. And mm-hmm. I remember one of my favorite breakfasts because I was a, a junk food kid. I loved it. You know, sure. I mean, I still would eat a lot of it if I could, um, was French toast sticks, yes. which was basically like fried bread with sugar yep. and cinnamon that you dipped in like processed syrup yeah. stuff. That was like maple flavored. Yeah. I loved it. I was, <laughs> I, could, I was so excited every time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really surprised that I made it through school as well as I did. And I was able to think, but sure. um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those things that very low in fiber, the meals that kids get at school is like very low fiber, um, yeah. almost non-existent. So what do you think about people that say, as we start to change the menus at the schools, there are are some people that complain that it leads to more food being wasted because kids won't eat it. What's your response to that? 
Yeah. Um, so I would say that's true in some cases, but not all. And there's actually some research that's come out recently that uh, pinpoints why that food waste happens in the school setting. And it's typically because the food service directors and the food service staff just aren't trained or don't have the tools or resources to make those fruits and vegetables taste good. Mm -hmm. um, but when given an option of a salad bar or, you know, well-prepared vegetables, there's a ton of evidence to show that kids really enjoy having that meal. Mm -hmm. um, or having that as part of their meal. Um, and, you know, like all things, if kids aren't used to eating vegetables, it, it might take some time. Mm -hmm. So you might see an initial spike in food waste, which is problematic in and of itself. But when we're talking about the course of somebody's life, which is 70 to 90 years, a few weeks of food waste, while they learn to eat vegetables or develop a palate for vegetables, I think it's the payoff is, is much better. Yeah, I love that. I 100% agree. I, I think that sometimes, especially if kids haven't been exposed to fruits and vegetables, at first, they're going to reject it, but you have to just keep exposing them to it. And we know that children that are raised this way and are exposed to it more, they're more likely to be accepting uh, of fruits and vegetables and different, a, ver, more, a bigger variety of fruits and vegetables. So sure. I agree 100%. Well, and the other thing too about wasting is it can be wasted one way or the other, right? So if you're getting excess calories in, I mean, that's waste inside your body. You're storing Absolutely. excess fat, which is not good for us long-term. Yeah, and I, I think if we were to make a logical through line there, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to say like, oh, because kids throw away broccoli, we should feed them more corn dogs. Like those are actually not, that's not a congruent statement, <laughs> but that's what ends up happening. Exactly. No, well, I think also... There's a lot of anxiety over the amount of food that kids eat. Absolutely. I feel like parents get really hung up on their kids not eating enough, even though the kids are obviously growing well. Sure. And so whenever we see kids throwing food away, it causes this anxiety of like, oh, they're not going to get enough food. They're going to get really thin and malnourished and have failure to thrive, which um, kids for the most part are highly intuitive eaters. So they will eat when they're hungry and they will make sure that they make up their calories, which is one of those things I try to emphasize over and over again. That yeah. Don't get so stressed out if your kid doesn't eat most or even any of their meal because some nights they may not be hungry at all. We yeah. have to just kind of breathe through that. <laughs> breathe yeah. through it. And that goes back to having a healthy food environment in all settings. So, you know, they might not be hungry for lunch, but a few hours later they want a snack. And if all they have to eat are chicken nuggets versus an apple or watermelon or carrots, you know, they'll eat. It's very, I have, I have not been around a child in the 10 years of teaching or with my own who, when given the choice of starving or eating carrots, has chosen starving. <laughs> yes, I agree. Well, why should parents care about their kids' nutrition at school? Oh, well, so, you know, there's the basic math. If a parent is sending their child to school and the child eats five meals a day at school, that's 180 plus meals a year. If they eat breakfast and lunch at school, that's 340 plus meals a year, which is the same number of meals that parents are serving for dinner each year on average. Mm -hmm. And so the same care and deliberateness and concern that parents have when feeding their children at home, that should apply in all of the places their children are eating um, and school being the, the primary place children are eating outside the home. It's a huge opportunity for, you know, developing healthy habits, um, you know, 
thriving adequately, all of, all of the things that go with good nutrition. That's great. And later on, we'll talk about more how parents and other interested listeners can get involved in what you're doing, but where they are now with their school or their school district, what tips would you have for how parents can get involved and maybe start to turn that, um, you know, pendulum the other way? Yeah. So um, I think about it in a few stages. The first is really get to understand or really understand what your child is eating at school. So take a look at the school menu, figure out what is being served, see if there are, are places that you automatically or intuitively know there's room for growth, um, and then figure out who in the school system uh, you need to befriend in order to make those changes happen. We often think it's like, go straight to the principal, they're going to make the change. But food service contracts are often a district-wide thing. So it's the school board, or you know, if you can get the, the PTA or PTO president on your side, um, if you can get content or education materials to teachers or other stakeholders, that's really important. Um, but really it's about knowing the facts and finding the right people to help you make the change. That's great advice. And I, I know that it can be very difficult to try to make changes within the school, especially when they are working within a certain budget totally. and to try to follow certain guidelines that they must follow to get funding from certain entities and, and that kind of thing. So it can be a little bit of a struggle. Have you been successful working with your kids' school? Um, so my daughter's only three and a half, and so we send her to preschool and I send lunch every day. Um, but we have started to have some success with folks who are running what we're calling our community-led campaigns, which um, you alluded we can talk, talk about in a little bit, but basically it's a toolkit to help you go into, help a parent go into schools from step A to step Z, make this change happen. Um, and it certainly is difficult, but what I will say is there, there are proof points across the United States of it being done. Um, and it's totally possible, and it's much easier than, than I think food service directors think it is. Yes. I, and I think there is a myth that incorporating more plants is actually going to be more expensive. But the right. truth is, is that it can be about the same or even a little cheaper to mm -hmm. eat more plant foods in the menu, which always sounds great, right? Because even if you save a penny or two over time, that can save millions of dollars, you know, uh, when implemented for a long term. Um, so it actually can be very beneficial to the budget. But there's that myth that it's going to be more expensive. So I think that's important to know. Well, what would you tackle first? I know that you mentioned the processed meats and the eggs. Would that be one of the first areas that you would tackle in a school? Yeah, so the way we think about it is an overall um, replacement of what we call like the bottom 20% least healthy foods. Okay. So there are a lot of programs that advocate for just an increase of plant foods, right? And there are a lot of programs that advocate for, you know, like, get fast food out of the three blocks around my school or get fast food off the menu. And, you know, those are pretty big asks to make independent of all the like factors that go into deciding a school lunch. And so when we think about making change, we say, let's take a look at your menu. We're creating a scorecard right now that allows us to sort of evaluate a school lunch menu over the course of a month and identify the least healthy food items. Um, and we say, let's take that and let's reduce those unhealthy foods by 20% and let's replace them with good ones. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for the vast majority of schools, that looks like processed meats. Um, one of the number one foods that schools serve 
uh, or is actually like chicken nugget type products. And so we look to reduce that. Um, looking to reduce things like pepperoni pizza or any any of that like processed meat and, and egg products. Yeah, hot dogs is a big one that gets me. Hot dogs, yeah. But you know, that's an obvious place to start, I think, sure. because we have evidence, we have proof that processed meats are a culprit in cancers, particularly colon cancer. So we have this like World Health Organization statement saying basically processed meats cause cancer. We should not be feeding that to our kids at school. At, you know, at the very least, take it out of schools. And if parents want to feed it to their kids at home, that's their choice. But at yeah. least the school should be a place where we know that our kids can be safe, you know, and that includes the food that they eat. So I think that trying to replace some of those processed meats is the easy first thing that nobody should be able to argue that like, okay, we have evidence here. Let's get this out of the menus. I'm going to interject here for a minute to tell you again about Health IQ because Health IQ believes that health conscious people are overpaying for life insurance and they offer special rates based on health knowledge and active lifestyles such as running, cycling, swimming, weightlifting, yoga, and vegetarianism and veganism. They are able to get exclusive special rates for 56% of their clients. And this is based on combined data with medical research. They have partnered with top insurers in order to deliver these special rates to health conscious individuals. So for more information, please visit healthiq.com forward slash veggie doctor and use the special code veggie doctor to see if you qualify for special rates. And what do you suggest to schools to replace those processed meats with? Yeah, so we actually have like a pamphlet of menus or of like meal replacement items. So there are things like um, bean burritos or lentil chili or um, something that's like as hearty. Kids want hearty warm meals. I want hearty warm meals. I don't want, you know, I don't want um, the pizza that I eat to be replaced with kale. Like, no, (laughs) it's actually where you're going to get resistance. So we tried to look at what kids are most inclined to eat and how can we replicate those sort of flavors in a much healthier way. Um, And so when we're having this conversation, we're looking at the menus, we're saying, you know, what do you want to replace? Let's find a, let's find an analog for it. Nice. Yeah. I love that. And in the preschool that is associated with Virginia Mason Memorial Hospital here in Yakima, I helped look at the menus and together with the executive chef, one of the things that was super clever that I didn't even think of first was you can replace because they have certain criteria they have to do as far as like protein and fruit and vegetable, that kind of thing. Um, But one of the things that they were able to do is replace some of the meat dishes Mm -hmm. with uh, a bean pasta. So like a pasta that's made out of legumes because it has a higher protein percentage. And I'm not, you know, I'm not big on this looking at protein and that kind of stuff, but it's, that's what the criteria are right now. And so they were able to make that swap. It wasn't more expensive and they were, they could check off those criteria and have a plate that was full of fiber instead of having a processed meat. And I thought that was like a huge win. So little things like that you know, to be more creative. And then the kids get to eat yummy pasta, which all kids love pasta pretty much. So. Totally. Yeah. That's great. It's just, it's examples like that. It's so possible that these changes are so possible. 
I love it. Well, thank you so much for, for being a leader in this movement, because I think oh, it is so you. important. So going beyond schools, what can parents do that are interested, and a lot of listeners of this podcast, they may not know where to start. What can parents do if they want to start on that path to health and nutrition for their families? Where would you suggest that they start? Sure. So you mean outside of an institutional food environment, just right, like just in home. their family? <laughs> yeah. Um, I am a big proponent of uh, small steps adding up. Um, and so I would look at, at their menu and I would, or I would ask them to look at what they intend to eat for a week and say like, what's one unhealthy item that we could replace um, with an alternative and start incorporating those alternatives into their, into their meals in time. And eventually, uh, they have 10, 15, 20 alternatives to the unhealthy foods and they're better at cooking them. They know how they like it. They know how it's prepared. I think too often people are under the impression that health and nutrition is an all or nothing game. Um, as in like, unless I am, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, raw macro diet, vegan from my own garden that my kids planted and picked, then it's not healthy. Like, well, actually like maybe just, just don't eat, you know, fried like fish sticks one night, replace fish sticks with something. And then the next week replace the tater tots with something, but it's just over time, uh, building up that repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking small baby steps little by little, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I say that all the time. It does sure. not have to be all or nothing. Even just starting one day a week, doing a meatless Monday, putting more okay. beans in the diet, um, yep. those kinds of things. So what is a favorite go-to easy meal? You said you like to keep things simple. So what do you oh, like yeah. to make for your family when you're short on time and want to have something yummy? Yes. Yeah, so this is a plot twist for your listeners. I love savory oatmeal. Have you ever made savory oatmeal? Yes, we love it too. Yes, savory oatmeal. So oatmeal, first of all, is like the easiest thing to cook. So oatmeal and then um, kale sauteed with a little bit of vegetable broth and nutritional yeast, mm-hmm. a little garlic powder, any vegetables you want to throw in there. Our go-tos, like we can't eat enough mushrooms in our home. Um, mushrooms, onions, tomato, just throw it all in there. I like mine with a lot of hot sauce. My husband is a New Orleanian, so he likes his with a lot, a lot of hot sauce. Um, and Ada, my daughter, will just eat it just like that. Plain. That is so yummy. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I make it, I make mine in the instant pot. And oh. speaking of mushrooms, one thing that I love, I don't know if there's Costco where you live. Oh yeah. They sure. sell those big tubs of the dried mushrooms yes. so that you can have them all the time and you don't have to worry about them going bad in the fridge. Okay. And I love, I love those mixed mushrooms in there. And then sun-dried smoked sun-dried tomatoes mm. delicious and savory oatmeal nice. oh i'm definitely <laughs> <now>. so <laughs> and you said that for your daughter mm-hmm. you are sending her to school with her lunch so that's what i've done with my kids even before i was vegan i've always sure. been like so hardcore about making sure that my kids had nutritious food that i always sent them to school with their lunches is that something that you suggest the parents do if they're really concerned about their nutrition, if they're able to, or, or yeah, you recommend that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're able, um, I think if they're able and feel confident doing it, absolutely. Um, we, so we do it because it's a requirement. If the school, like they don't make, they don't prepare lunch at my daughter's school, but if the school prepared lunch and it wasn't actually vegan or whole food plant-based, we would, um, 
we would still likely send food. Um, but I realized that's an extra constraint on a lot of families. I also like doing it. I love the routine of packing my daughter's lunch more. Like I rarely ever pack my own lunch just because I'm too busy and I forget, but the nightly routine of packing her lunch, it just feels like, Oh, I get to take care of her in one more way. And I love it so much. What kind of things do you like to put in her lunch? Yeah. Um, so let's see. She loves like um, a pita or like a thin sandwich bread with hummus and cucumbers. Um, she loves finger sandwiches with cucumbers on them. That's a big favorite. Basically, we take whatever we had for dinner and I just make enough for lunch the next day. So chilies are a, a big favorite. Um, today, let me think what she had for lunch today. She had the chickpea, um, she had chickpea noodles with olives and cucumbers because she's obsessed with cucumbers right now. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's really well thought out and sometimes it's just like a snacky lunch, some olives and hummus and pretzels and that sounds, that sounds delicious. I saw a YouTube video the other day on this lady making these, um, kids lunches and then she like cut everything into stars and did a lot and I was like whoa that's like another level parents yeah. do not have to go to that level like just like what you're saying Audrey is what we yeah. do we do leftovers we do baby carrots with hummus I yes. put olives in my son's lunch because he loves olives so I'll just even do just yes. olives yeah. in a little baggie um and then I'll do things like Amy's burritos too okay. the Totally. Dairy-free burritos. And, you know, those are easy because my older son is 13. And yeah. also I feel like they get very little time. So to have things at lunch that they can eat a little bit more quickly, it also totally. helps. So it's one of those things. It's not as hard as you think, parents. You can do it yeah. and you can get it done the night before. I just do it the morning of. It takes me like five minutes. It's very, very totally. simple. Yeah. I think there's a misconception that you have to have like a main dish with all of these side dishes and Really, if you're filling your kid's plate with fruits and vegetables and beans, they're like full. Oh, it yeah. Doesn't, you don't have to have a main dish. It can be just a hodgepodge of very filling items. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's delicious. Well, how about whenever you guys eat out or attend social functions? How do you handle those situations? So we usually eat before we go, um, just <laughs> preemptively. If it's just my husband and I, it's much easier. Um, I always have snacks in my purse or my bag if my daughter's with us. Um, and we also, we also kind of have a more laid back approach when we're out than, you know, this is the restrictive, this is all you're allowed to eat. Um, if she's hungry, we have nothing and the options are not ideal. We just kind of chalk it up to like, well, this wasn't the most ideal food. We, we wouldn't serve this at home. She eats it once every six months, like it just is just going to be what it is. And it, it doesn't, it's not great, but you know, that's life. Absolutely. And I love that approach too. I, I feel like sometimes when we're overly restrictive, that can cause, you know, that can backfire yeah. and it can cause issues. Like Absolutely. I said, we were just traveling and I do allow my son to get apple juice on the plane. Mm. Very, very special to him. So yeah. It was funny yesterday. <laughs> it sounded really good to me too. So I, I even ordered an apple juice. <laughs> it yeah. was so funny. Three of us had apple juices on the plane, which was nice. But that's one of those things that we know we, we'd never have at home, but we yeah. do when we're traveling or when we're out sometimes. And that's a good way for kids to also flex their muscles is how, what kind mm -hmm. of 
foods are they going to choose? Give them a little bit of that independence as they get older and um, later on in the school years. What motivates you to do the work you do? Yeah, that's evolved over time. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, so I started in animal rights and that was sort of, it was sort of like an ethical decision. Um, but over time, it, the ethics behind it have evolved and grown um, just as much as I care about the welfare and um, protection of animals. I realize like we are in a crisis of public health and I, my compassion needs to extend to the people around me. Um, once I had a daughter, that compassion became so much more acute. Um, it was no longer like those kids. It's like our kids. Our kids deserve better. Um, our families deserve better. And I, you know, I'm in a position of privilege and, and power to make change. And I don't take that lightly. So I have the opportunity to do it. And I'm so grateful. That's wonderful. And tell me about your personal habit that you mm. find, that you've developed, that you're most proud of. How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Yeah. Is, does it have to be related to food? Nope. It can be anything. Oh, okay. Great. So um, the personal habit I'm most proud of is that I uh, maintain a writing schedule. So I have a degree in creative writing, specifically in poetry, mm. and um, having left college and never had that as my profession, it has been difficult to maintain that sort of work or habit, but it's so fulfilling and it's sort of the uh, reflection and motivation that I need to do the other more difficult work. It's so creative. It's so freeing. Um, and so every month when we're making our family calendar, I have these little sticky notes that say, right. And I put them on the dates that I know I don't have anything in the evening or I don't have any conflicts. And I hold an hour on those nights to write. And it's just like a little oasis. I can look forward to it at the end of the day. Oh, today's a poetry day. I get to write. Um, and so keeping that part of myself very active and alive, despite doing work that is completely unrelated, has been, has been really valuable to me. Oh, that is so important. I think especially for women and moms and us professionals that we are really driven and, you know, get really into it. Yeah. Self-care is so important. And I, I really give kudos to you for keeping up that good self-care routine. And that sounds really fun. It sounds like it's a nice emotional release for you to be able yeah. to sit down and write that poetry. Yeah. As, as a fellow mom, you, you know that like sometimes you lose a sense of who you are when you're worried with like, caring about everybody else. And more important to me than being able to be on a treadmill for 30 minutes or take a bubble bath is like, I just want to connect with who I am. Um, and that's when I get to do it. Awesome. Are you planning to publish any of your work or have you already published some poetry? Um, I have published some poetry. Um, no, not there. There's nothing on the horizon. Um, it's mostly just for myself, and I have a group of friends. Uh, every few months, we get together and we workshop each other's work. But um, you certainly will not be seeing any Pulitzer Prize-winning Audrey Sanchez poetry in the future. <laughs> well, maybe someday. You never know. I'll, I'll be looking out for it. Okay, so let's go back to balanced and. Sure. What is your call to action? What do you want us to do, us 
interested parents, grandparents, or other citizens that really feel like there needs to be a change in, in this food industry. Love it. So the blanket statement is speak up. And what Balanced is focused on doing is creating a continuum of ways people can get involved. Everything from taking 15 to 30 second actions a few times a week to leading a campaign in their community. So um, we are still intending on running a few uh, campaigns against food service companies uh, in the future. And if folks want to get involved, they can sign our petitions, they can share our content on social media, they can stay involved signing up for our, our mailing list. That would be hugely important. Um, but along the continuum, they can also reach out to us and we are creating downloadable toolkits, like I mentioned earlier, to help people run campaigns in their community, either very positive or much more high pressure. Um, the high, that's the continuum. The higher pressure is more of a, a demand for change, whereas the, the positive pressure is a little, a little bit more coalition building. Um, but along with those downloadable toolkits, we provide direct one-on-one -on -one coaching and um, communities and groups and webinars and trainings for folks who want to create that change in their community. So, you know, everything from how to email the superintendent to how to organize the, the PTA to um, how to use social media to gather momentum, those sort of things. Um, and then even more intensive if they want to volunteer with us. You know, we're just a scrappy nonprofit in our first year. We love all hands on deck. Um, and if folks are interested in donating, we make all of these resources completely free and available to the public. And so the way we do that is, is just through supporters who, who care about this. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to look at one of those toolkits. I think that that information is so valuable and so needed right now for parents that are interested and involved. So thank you so much for putting those together. Yeah. Absolutely. What social media channels are you guys on? So we are very active on Facebook and our handle is at get balanced now and Instagram. It's the same. And, uh, we should be better at Twitter, but we're not, <laughs> but it's at get balanced underscore now on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I'm not very active on Twitter either. I think it, I think I'm a little too old for it or something. I don't know what it is. It's not my, it's not my thing. We're definitely not on Snapchat. I don't even know how to make a snap. <laughs> it could be your next challenge. <laughs> right. Ada can teach me. She's much cooler than me at three and a half. She'll probably I'm sure she can already do it. <laughs> <laughs> and should people join your or sign up for your newsletter to get updates? Yeah, okay, absolutely. So they can do that on balance.org. That's your balance website, correct? Yep. And they can also reach out directly. Um, you know, our team is very available. It's just info at balance.org and one of us will get back to them. Okay, great. Well, I am super excited for everything that you're doing. Again, thank you so much for being so brave and oh. starting this movement and making, putting all this effort into this. I know it's going to take us someplace great. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show today, Audrey. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so wonderful. Yay. Have a plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket surgeons music. 
Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggie fit kids, or you can email me at veggie doctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.